0: Welcome to Genuine Life Recovery with me, Jody Stevens. We're here to help you and your loved ones overcome addictions and other addiction-related mental health challenges. In this show, we dive into the physical, emotional, psychological, medical, and spiritual aspects of addiction, mental health, recovery, family dynamics, codependency, and more. Welcome back, friends. It's Genuine Life Recovery. I'm Jody Stevens. I'm joined by Conard Hogan, my new friend. Conard Yay. is retired now, but he was a practicing therapist. He worked for years in addiction treatment and other stuff. And he's also author of the book "Once Upon a Kentucky Farm." He's also a trauma survivor. As a Vietnam veteran and an adult child of an alcoholic. Thank you so much for joining us, Connor.
1: Well, you're welcome, Jody. It's a pleasure to be with you.
0: And you said you were in Santa Barbara, right?
1: Yeah, I've been here okay. for since the Northridge earthquake, if anyone remembers that, but I think that oh was 1994. God. That was crazy. Did you live, th- I mean, were you in that earthquake? No, at the time, my wife had already moved to Santa Barbara for her uh-huh. job, and we were commuting on weekends. And I had gone on a on a trip with her up to Cambria, and we had come back, and I was staying with her in her in the apartment we were renting here in Santa Barbara when the earthquake occurred, and we could tell it was a big one because of the uh, the waves. Uh, yeah. It was like a rocking and rolling for 30 seconds. And I knew it was a big one, but I didn't know where it was until a little later that I found out that it, it was down in Northridge area and affected Santa Monica. And I was working at St. John's Hospital oh, in Santa goodness. Monica at the time in the uh, inpatient drug treatment facility. So uh, I called and they'd had damage. I drove down the next morning against my wife's wishes, wishes. <laughs> And braved the highway, thought I could get through, and I did. But it, we, that facility, had, that wing of the hospital where the facility was located, suffered some serious damage, and resulting in a, uh, they demolished that wing of the hospital. Anyway, long-winded story.
0: Wow. Sorry. Well, no, it's fine. I see I grew up in Anchorage, Alaska. Now I was born oh. there in 72, so the 64 earthquake had already. But they, you know, over the years oh. they kept upgrading it to, to where at this point it's like Ooh. a 9.6 where it was an 8.6 yeah. or now it's a 9.4. <laughs> it's just like it keeps yeah. getting bigger over the years as they look at. The, but I remember Earthquake Park and all that stuff. And of course, we had a lot yeah. of earthquakes just growing up, so I've I've always been mm-hmm. very fearful of earthquakes because when we had earthquake drills, they were it was like the real deal because there were so many times when we would have to get under our desk as school kids, uh-huh. you know. <laughs> uh-huh. So I
1: never did have to experience drills. Uh, I grew up in Kentucky and didn't come to California until about 1972. I noticed on your website you're a big hiker. It looks like you climbed an alley. Was that, am, yes. am I right? Yes, wow. I did. And that was about, so ooh, I couldn't tell you what year exactly now, About 19, 19, about 1990, I'd say. Yeah, Yeah.
0: my husband and I have been to like 72 national parks. We love hiking, so we've been to... Probably the ones in Rainier's, the favorite for wildflowers, and uh-huh. then uh, Glacier in Montana. And then, of course, I grew up in Alaska. I never did yeah. hike. For those of you who don't know, Denali's also Mount McKinley. It's the same mountain. <laughs> yep,
1: same one.
0: Um, yeah, <laughs> Yeah, and then uh, all the places in Utah, and then probably like Washington Pass
1: area. So those are some of my favorites places mm-hmm. to hike. Mm-hmm. So and by the way, wow. I've also got gone to the highest point in every one of the fifty U.S. states and the lowest points. Oh my God! <laughs> but now we're off on a different subject. And going to different. Well, you levels.
0: really, so you really are an adult child of an alcoholic because you're an adrenaline junkie.
1: <laughs> uh, a lot of times I am. Yeah, yeah. I do like my peace and quiet and withdrawn isolation, but. <laughs> But I do like being outdoors.
0: By the way, please share this show with anybody you know struggling with addictions and other mental health challenges. Please share it on social media. You can listen to Genuine Life Recovery. It's on iTunes and Spotify, Amazon, your favorite listening apps, and also on my website, by clicking podcast at jodystevens.org, J-O-D-I-E, Stevens, S-T-E-V-E-N-S.org. So, Conard, I want to get yes. into it. We're talking about a lot of different things, but primarily just be, what is an adult child of an alcoholic and then surviving trauma and then also just kind of maybe having you share your story of what it was like growing up in a family that struggles with addiction And um, I also want to thank you for your service as well in Vietnam. Thank you. um, Thank you. Yeah, a couple different Um, things. But before we roll into your story, just briefly kind of explain to people adult child of alcoholic, right? It sounds yep. obvious, but what, what it really means is, you know, they have different things out there, like the laundry list. And, you know, there's there's some kind of things as we get older, if we grew up in this environment, we can say, wow, I have
1: some issues related to these areas, right? Mm-hmm. Well, let me see. How would I define it? Well, obviously, it's someone who's experienced having been around someone who's an alcoholic, and Mm -hmm. now they've grown up to become an adult. So witnessing the alcoholism and the effects of the alcoholism was something that occurred for them during their uh, younger years when they were less able to fend for themselves, set set appropriate boundaries, uh, to speak out, to seek help outside of the home. And we're basically talking about, uh, could be any Child caregiver. It doesn't have to be a mother, father. It could be a grandparent or an aunt or uncle, or, or wherever mm-hmm. they lived uh, as they grew up, where there was the issue of uh, serious uh, consumption of alcohol, and, it, and, and, and in a way that could also apply to drugs. If we want to expand this a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but generally, when you say A.C.A., you're talking about alcoholism. It will affect different children in different ways, depending upon the severity, the intensity, the other issues that crop up around the drinking, uh, the frequency of it, uh, how others around them like adults or their siblings may be reacting to it as well. And obviously, well, not obvious, but I think it would be obvious when I say this, if if it's compounded by inappropriate behavior, physical abuse,
0: mm, yeah. uh,
1: neglect- emotional mm-hmm. abuse, and particularly sexual abuse, then that's going to compound it considerably. Mm, um, yeah. So let me just run by some of the ideas that came to my mind about characteristics or symptoms that adult children may have. They may develop hypersensitivity to their surroundings or hypervigilance. Mm-hmm. They may ha- have or develop problematic volatile relationships. They may have a need to control difficulty expressing and identifying their emotions and feelings. In extreme cases, they may resort or fall into drug and alcohol abuse themselves or other addictive behaviors like excessive consumption of food, sex, gambling, shopping, whatever. They may be quite reserved and withdrawn, particularly emotionally, but also socially. They may experience or still be experiencing after a period of time, distressing dreams or thoughts. And they may show signs of agitation and anxiety, which kind of goes along with hypervigilance and hypersensitivity. And so it, it could be a individualized syndrome from one person to the next, as far as the symptoms, it can vary. And as someone recently said, which I think is apropos, kind of sums it up beautifully. Trauma has many faces.
0: And a lot of times I think in families it the alcoholic behavior so like if I look at my family, like my parents per se weren't alcoholics, but my grandfather was an alcoholic, my mm-hmm. uncles were alcoholic. So you had this kind of what they call like para alcoholic or wherever where some of the behavior was there <laughs> within yep. the family. So like when I read like the laundry list, some of the like for me there I I Experienced a lot of low self-esteem, stuffing feelings, very mm-hmm. extreme codependency issue, no real strong sense of self, and it was really more because my my grandfather was an abusive alcoholic, and so my mom ah. just sort of repeated or my parents just really just had not a real great way of dealing with emotions and conflict, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think people should also know that sometimes, like, a lot of these symptoms and things that we're talking about can be prevalent even if the drugs or alcohol maybe weren't in your immediate family but maybe they run in the family right and would you say some of those sort of codependent relate relatable coping mechanisms can still affect us
1: yes yes exactly and and I think you made a good point about self low self-esteem is is another clue or result of and one that I just I'd forgotten to even consider. <laughs> It's um, a long and list of And so that was that things. was wh- that was a big one for me, low self-esteem. Yeah, um, yeah. And and I do think, and we kind of segue to trauma here, but part of what we're talking about is a trauma or traumas that could build mm-hmm. up over repetitive uh, or similar types of behavior over time. Trauma doesn't have to occur from one event; it can be like a number of events building yeah. up. Uh, mm-hmm. So when you're around um, volatile relationships, uh, inconsistent communication. When you have things like physical, sexual abuse, neglect, uh, emotional abuse, it doesn't have to be necessarily from immediate person you're living in contact with, but those kinds of issues, such as you were talking about with the grandfather will echo or ripple out to other, to other family members, uh, children, grandchildren and have effects that we necessarily can't predict in advance. And and it, it will affect different individuals in different ways, of course, depending upon how much contact a given individual has with the inappropriate behavior or the ripples of it. People can be traumatized in a number of ways they can be traumatized because it occurs directly. It's focused on them or directly at them, like physical sexual abuse. They can be mm-hmm. traumatized by witnessing it of others, such as for me, I witnessed my mother being physically abused. I wasn't physically abused, but I was emotionally yeah. abused. Yeah. So was my brother. Um, people can be traumatized by hearing the news of the trauma to other people. Mm-hmm. People can be traumatized by seeing it on television, for example. They have the visual image of it, but they can be traumatized that way. They could be, and so we're talking about trauma coming to us. It could be visual. It could be auditory. We could hear it going on in another room, physical or sexual abuse, and that could traumatize us. But I and I was thinking about that today. It could be also the gustatory or, um, um, the smells, sense of smell. <laughs> what am I tr- mm, trying to say mm-hmm. here? Um, and this is going to sound macabre, but we could be traumatized by the smell of burning flesh or a, the smell of a decomposing animal or body. I mean, mm-hmm. we can, it, the, the trauma, mm-hmm. how would I say the tra- trauma basically is, in a sense, it's not a clinical way to say this kind of getting hit up by the head Aside the head, by a very strong, unusual kind of event that we're witnessing. And depending upon how we're perceiving that event, as well as how long it occurs or how often it occurs, we could end up quite traumatized or hardly traumatized. But I have a non clinical definition of trauma. I think all of us deal with trauma all the time in our lives. And yeah. a lot of times, it's not diagnosable as trauma or post-traumatic stress or doesn't develop mm-hmm. into post-traumatic stress, but we all have traumas. And that's not necessarily negative. And I'll give you some examples. We can be traumatized by loss of a pet as a, as a uh, child, right? Mm-hmm. We go through a pain and, and sadness. It doesn't mean it's going to negatively affect us in severe ways the rest of our lives, but it is a traumatic event. Divorce is a traumatic event, can be quite so for children. Losing a job, being fired from a job can be a traumatic event, right? So there's a lot of ways we can be traumatized. And I think uh, trauma is part of, again, the non, the, not the clinical definition of trauma where it's severe, but we all experiencing it. Uh, you know, if you bump your head against the doorframe, that's a trauma to your physical body if we lose a pet, lose a job, that's a trauma. And those kinds of events, in a sense, if we handle them in a healthy way, they help us grow and become stronger. So we don't have to be victimized from them in the sense that we can choose how we deal with them.
0: I love that definition. I think that's so great. You made like mm-hmm. so many great points, you know, about right. just all the different areas, especially when we're dealing with, you know, a lot of people think trauma is a like a one time event, right? Like, or no. PTSD, where we look like September 11th and we say, Oh, my gosh, yeah, yeah. you know, a lot of people had trauma from that or being a victim of a crime. But also, yep. you know, People who grow up in dysfunction like yourself, you can have like post traumatic stress or trauma from your childhood. And it could be a myriad of other, of different things. And a lot of times, you know, we think that the trauma must be some kind of a physical abuse. And I've heard people mm-hmm. say it's almost easier to have the, I don't mean to, that sounds terrible, but it's a little bit, sometimes with the physical abuse, at least you know, right? With, yeah. with emotional, it's yeah. so confusing because a lot of times, in And you can probably speak to this being from an alcoholic family. There, There's an invalidation of who you are because, yeah. A, there's not time to deal with you when you're a kid. B, there isn't time to deal with your feelings when you're a kid because we're too busy dealing with the alcoholic. And so it's easy to just like like a lot of times I would hear things like, don't feel that way. We, we don't know why yeah. you feel that way. Stop feeling that way. So mm-hmm. you know what, Connor? I did. I stopped. (laughs) And then I stuffed. And then I started medicating my alcohol or medicating my anxiety with Mm. alcohol. Then I had started having panic attacks. And it took me years to just unravel all that. But it wasn't anything Mm. intentional. It was just, you know, my parents just didn't have real good uh, communication skills. Because again, my grandfather was an alcoholic. And he was very abusive to her and so she had her own way of coping and so it was just one of those things where and then my brother, you know, he died of alcoholism and I look back and Mm -hmm. I think how could we be so messed up when really they did the best they could, right? So right. it wasn't abusive per se, like it was they were trying. They just didn't have the tools. And so it was very exactly. hard to, to, to break it down and go, what happened? Because You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm, so sometimes mm-hmm. the trauma... And they would fight and throw things and break stuff when I was a little kid. So there, you know what I mean? And so sometimes the right. trauma is, it's really hard to unravel,
1: you know? It can be in in situations. And I, I had a number of thoughts associated with some of the things you were saying. One of the things, it's almost as if, well, trauma can be a major one-time, one-moment event. But it can also mm-hmm. kind of be like repetitive or ongoing variations of the trauma over time kind right. of like and it can sneak up on you kind of like a fog rolling in you mm-hmm. don't know it or you don't see it or you don't you don't recognize the the accumulation effect of it over yeah. time but it suddenly you may find yourself in the midst of it and say how did i get here what happened it does have the ripple effects across generations not just at a given moment across various relationships within a family or a community, but it has its ripples over the generations over time and get, gets passed on. I think that's a big component yeah. for drug and alcohol or actually any addiction and the difficulty that people may have in communication, communicating with other people, identifying, expressing their feelings, uh, developing healthy relationships. It's like those the role modeling that occurs in those kinds of situations where there's a trauma is distorting their ability. In other words, they're not being given proper tools or they're not being given Mm -hmm. healthy tools. They're being given tools that aren't going to be effective or functional or um, adequate for them to be able to live a a healthy, happy life.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's so true. That's so true. I, I can remember just, took me years to even learn to stand up for myself. I just, I, mm-hmm. I was so afraid to do it. And, and so, you know, because when you're in a family situation like that, like you said, it's, it's, you don't learn boundaries, you don't learn proper ways to connect with people. And so you, but you're, so you develop, ways of just coping in that environment. Right. Right. (laughs) So, and then you grow up and all of a sudden you're like, wow, this, this thing where I stuff or where I do this, it doesn't work
1: now, (laughs) but it saved me
0: back then. (laughs) Those tools
1: may work in that situation for you to be able to survive. And that's probably the most important thing, but what you're experiencing in the meantime is going to come back and bite you later on because those tools won't work for you in other settings they won't work for you in healthy settings. Um, So as at some point, you kind of, the wheels fall off and you say, hey, it's not working for me anymore. What's the problem? And the problem is you just didn't have the tools and you have a lot of emotional baggage that's driving you to do, say, or feel things that aren't helpful and constructive for you. And I think the point you made about self-esteem, yeah, it's a a big one. When we have low self-esteem, we don't Feel, or we may not even conceive the the importance of being able to set our own boundaries and to defend ourselves because we're not worthy of it, or maybe right. that's just the way it is.
0: This one time, um, this was actually a professor when I was doing some school, and he, he said, You know, but he was also a therapist, and he said, mm-hmm. and I related to this so well because if, if so, like, and you could probably relate to this if there was trauma or bad communication or something this thing of self-efficacy, which is the belief in your ability to create any kind of outcome, kind of gets, like, stepped on. And so, Mm -hmm. and for me, I was also dyslexic. And so Mm -hmm. all this stuff kind of worked together to where, and and he said, at one point, he said, you know, normal people understand that they they have a choice. He said, but Mm -hmm. there are some people that actually don't believe that they have a choice. And so Mm -hmm. learning that we have choices was... Kind of a huge (laughs) revelation, like, that I could actually, you know, make my own choice regardless of what someone else thought. And so... That was that was kind of huge because a lot of times when you come from addicted families you can you can kind of be super codependent like me where you don't really know who you are and you don't you let kind of let other people make choices for you or like mm-hmm. you said you can be kind of super controlling it seems like there's not a lot of middle ground Right, it's kind of this passive-aggressive, fight-or-flight kind of crazy environment where we we kind of go super codependent or super kind of narcissistic. We kind of pick Mm -hmm. an extreme.
1: Did you see that a lot when you were doing therapy? Uh, I think I've seen it. Let me backtrack before I respond to that. And and that um, there is something called, and you may have heard it, learned helplessness. Yeah, and that's part of a victimization process, which we can develop as being traumatized. And so, yeah, we don't, mm-hmm. for those who have learned helplessness, have a learned helplessness, they may not see they have choice and they may not defend themselves in that sense. And they may not feel mm-hmm. worthy of defending themselves. So um, that is a that can be significant for many people. One of the things that was triggered in my association with that point you were making there is that if you think in terms of a number of variables as far as our personality characteristics. Uh, people that are having post-traumatic stress, or addicted to drugs and alcohol, or some other behavior, um, have developed trauma. Uh, they on those various factors, they probably will have gone to an extreme, and one person may go to one extreme on a given variable and another person to the other extreme, and one, I think an example of that was, as you said, you can be uh, totally passive on the one extreme or totally assertive in controlling mm-hmm. to the nth degree on the other on that particular scale, and there are others. Uh, one being withdrawn might be another factor. Some people might be quite open, but they're controlling in a way and not able to talk about their feelings that they're all over the place with their anxiety or agitation. So you might think of these various, um, the, way, the way the trauma shows up for different people can take on a different look from one person to the next. That's kind of what I was referring to earlier. There's no way to predict how a given person will deal with something as far as their choices um, as far as how they interpret their perception of it it kind of just depends on your
0: who you are at your core and your personality traits and then the the stuff that the way we handle trauma just it turns into a lot of different stuff that they would call maybe maladaptive behavior where it's just things that aren't really working for you but they're coping mechanisms and so but i mean the cool thing is that You know, there are so many tools and things to help because when you're a kid and this stuff happens and you develop Mm -hmm. these dysfunctional mechanisms to survive, you're just doing, you're actually responding in the way that you should. If you're self-medicating with alcohol at 14, you're kind of responding in the way that you should. You're trying Mm -hmm. to fix yourself. You just don't know how to do it. And so I I feel like, like I want people to know, like, you don't have to beat yourself up if if you if you've got these issues because you know you're you're trying to fix what's broken through this maladaptive behavior because that's what you learned and mm-hmm. so we have to relearn you know there's there's all these different ways of like they call it cognitive behavioral therapy where we yep. just relearn ways of you know managing our emotions you know praying you know maybe it's meditating maybe it's recognizing triggers that make us want to drink um there's there's just so many tools and i think mm-hmm. that, that that's really exciting because people really, especially nowadays can reach out for help. And there's yeah, a lot exactly. of people out there willing to help and not shame them and really that want to help you get the tools you need to overcome
1: stuff that wasn't even your fault. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think that's, that's the point we we talked about um, when you're, Coping with a situation, you are making choices. You're making the best choices that you can at that moment, and they probably yeah. aren't that adaptive in, <laughs> in other situations yeah. or that healthy emotionally. But you're doing the best you can. I, in my, to segue to my memoir, moment in in my memoir, I'm talked about the fact that after so many years, after having dealt with my dad's drinking and the bu- the abuse and etc. I'd come to learn that not only was my younger brother and I and my mother victims, but my father was a victim too, as an alcoholic. And, and I think a good part of what drove him in his drinking, he was self-medicating his trauma from world war two. Oh my God. He was in the Navy in the Pacific and uh, I'll just, let me, let me, the version of this anecdote a minute. He told me at one point and he didn't say, a lot, he wasn't one to talk a lot. He wasn't one to talk about his deep feelings. I don't even know if he could tell you what a feeling was. Um, he, <laughs> right. other than anger, he yeah. said one time to me, he said about uh, the invasion of Peleliu or uh, yeah, I think that was the name of it. And he drove a landing ship uh, craft to take Marines into the beach. Mm-hmm. And he said, I saw things no one should ever have to see. And my mother, another part of this, uh, my mother said, had told me that he suffered nightmares for years after he'd come back from the war. Mm-hmm. So he had a severe case of post-traumatic stress. And uh, not only that, I would learned later, too, in different times and snippets here and there that my grandfather drank as well, although I didn't see that directly. Uh, but I think as my father grew up, he was around, uh, you know, the, the effects of alcoholism and probably a verbal, maybe physical abuse as well. So, um, uh, that was in part, his drinking was a way to self-medicate himself. Mm. And unfortunately, back when I grew up in the fifties and sixties, there weren't as many, uh, opportunities to reach out for help. Some of the current methodology of dealing with trauma weren't there. They hadn't been developed. Um, There was kind of an unspoken rule, at least, well, it was spoken in my family, I think amongst the broader communities at the time is don't air your dirty laundry in public so it's not like as a kid i had options or was supported to go out and talk to somebody to try to relieve my feelings my anxiety my fear and learn how to cope with it in a better way and i was stuck to interact and, and talk with my mother and my younger brother so we were kind of in the the victimization soup uh with isolated the three of us but you know we did use each other as a support in that way so that was helpful but because we were limited with the three of us i mean there wasn't a whole lot we could do to talk about uh our issues uh, i think mom had her own <laughs> issues as a codependent and in yes. blind blind spots and she didn't because she couldn't affect stopping my father i you know it, it just continued for a number of years before it finally died down and i emancipated myself.
0: And your story is what we are going to get into in the next episode. Connor's going to talk about what it was like growing up as a child of an alcoholic with a war-traumatized alcoholic father, how trauma impacts relationships later in life. We'll talk war trauma. I also want to get into some of the therapeutic tools available to treat trauma and addiction, and also how we make sense or find meaning in these things so that we can move on. That and more coming up in part two with Conard Hogan. Again, Conard, author of the book Once Upon a Kentucky Farm, Hope and Healing from Family Abuse, Alcoholism and Dysfunction. The book is available wherever books are sold. And you can also find out more about Conard and connect with him at his website, conardhogan.com, C-O-N-N-A-R-D-H-O-G-A-N.com. And I am, of course, Jody Stevens, host of this podcast, Recovery and Company. Please share it with anybody you know struggling with addiction or other mental health challenges. You can share it on social media, and you can listen on iTunes and Spotify, Amazon, or your favorite listening app. Or, of course, on my website by clicking podcast at JodyStevens.org. You can connect with me there, Jody, J-O-D-I-E, S-T-E-V-E-N-S, JodyStevens.org. And I'm also on Facebook at Genuine Life with Jody Stevens. Thanks for listening, friends, and we will talk to you next time.